TheChairShot.com. Always use your head. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Badlands podcast, the only podcast out there that is 100% chiseled and is proudly part of the Chairshot Radio Network, eWrestling News, and now Smart to Death Radio. I am Max, and uh, coronavirus is still still a thing here in uh, in the UK, so unfortunately my uh, podcast wife, Paul, is uh, still going to be unavailable for the foreseeable future, uh, but that just means I get to spend more time chatting to uh the amazing guests, and today's uh, guest is no exception. Uh, today I'm speaking with Simon Powell. Um, he's a, a basically one of the, one of the most talented writers I've seen in the wrestling uh, sphere. So, welcome, Simon. How are you? I'm very good, thanks. Why? Wow, that was a that was a wonderful uh, introduction. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> complimented it's... me more there in thirty seconds. My wife has in about twelve years, I think. Wow, <laughs> wow. Yeah, I, 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 I get comments like that all the time. It's just, I love wrestling content. It's a, it's become a weird kind of almost like obsession with me. My wife absolutely just doesn't get it, does not get it whatsoever. Uh, she's just not into the whole wrestling thing, so to her it's, it's a mad mystery. Uh, but yeah, uh, you're, you're, you're writing, it's, 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 it's just, you speak like, um, like there's no airs and graces, like, like how you would kind of, if you were just talking wrestling to, to your mates, and I really like that kind of quality of it. Yes, yeah, it's, it's funny you say that, actually. I mean, again, mentioning my wife, uh, she she regularly says that when she reads articles I've done or I've worked on, that she can almost read them in my voice because it's almost it sounds like how I would be talking just sat in the front room having a chat with her. I mean, I'm very fortunate that my wife's the other end of the scheme, I suppose, to, to how you, you mentioned yours, in that she's very much into the wrestling as well. So I'm quite fortunate from that standpoint myself. Yeah, I wish I had a flat wrestling. She just honestly, and, I mean, for context, we're recording this uh, a couple of days before WrestleMania, and yeah, to to wrestling fans, that's like Christmas. To my wife, it's like, what are you doing, getting up at stupid o'clock and staying up for stupid o'clock? <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's the it's the laugh of a wrestling fan. Um, but anyway, Simon, the scene as this is your your first appearance ever on Badlands. Uh, it yep. would it would be remiss to not find out your your Matt Rushmore, the greatest wrestlers of all time. So when Paul finally does arrive, he can he can get into accountant mode and start uh, adding your picks to our collated Matt Rushmore. Yeah. Okay. No problem. Shall I uh, shall I start now then? Go for it. Yeah. Uh, just yep. each pick and then a little bit of a reason why that that wrestler may, makes your your Matt Rushmore. Okay. No problem. Um, I mean with. With all of these, the, the primary thing for me is very much in-ring talent. I mean, there's obviously very different aspects to what makes a wrestler entertaining, I suppose. You, you have guys who can do comedy stuff. You have guys who get over more of charisma, um, uh, personality, and so on. Um, but with me, it's very much dependent upon um, in-ring ability and what I actually watch in the matches themselves. Um, so my first pick, very much based along those lines... Um, it's probably my all-time favourite wrestler ever since I was very, very little, and that's uh, Shawn Michaels. Mm, interesting. 
Um, again, the main reasons being just just the content of his in-ring sort of catalogue, I suppose, for want of a better term. Um, going back as as far as I can remember, really, um, his mid-card stuff in the early 90s, the matches with Gennetti over the IC title after the Rockers split, mm-hmm. obviously the the ladder match with Razor Ramon at WrestleMania 10 and of the, the the sequel to that at was it SummerSlam 95, I believe the next one was. Um, and then going on a bit further from that, when he sort of mid-90s more so, I suppose, his matches with Vader and Mankind when he was effectively carrying the company on his own to a degree when everyone was jumping ship and going across to a WCW for much larger sums of money. Um, <laughs> um and then again later on in his career, you know, later nineties with some of the DX stuff before he he had to sort of stop for a few years with his back injury. Um, but then obviously four years out comes back and the 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 matches he put on from his comeback is his match against Triple H at uh, SummerSlam two thousand and two. The street fight there was was incredible. Um, very smaller role I suppose in the Elimination Chamber of the same year when he won the title. Um, and then, you know, matches going on from there with uh, Triple H and the Benoit involvement at WrestleMania 20 and uh, Backlash the following month, I think it was, where they did the triple threat again. Um, the Chris Jericho match at WrestleMania 19, the Angle match, and of course the, the Undertaker matches as well, the, the, the <laughs> duo matches there back-to-back at WrestleMania. Um, and then other, other things as well, the, 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 I think it was an hour long or just shy of an hour match he had with John Cena. I believe that was in the UK on the Monday Night Raw. Just in the ring, I just think on his night, I've not seen anyone past or present who who could touch Sean with what he could do. Yeah, I mean, I I was never a huge uh, HBK fan because um, I, I I knew a bit of, about how that politically was kind of backstage. Yes, um, <laughs> but. I, it's hard to deny that 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 run that he had when he came back from from basically a, a career-ending injury was was one of the best runs ever in in the history of wrestling. So yeah, yeah great totally. pick. Totally. Um, the the next pick is probably again probably a fairly obvious one. I imagine you've had suggested quite a few times from different from different guests on your show. Um, it is is Ric Flair. Yeah, um, he's, again, he's, very he's far and away, uh, the 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 winning pick so far. Yeah, yeah, I'd imagine so. <laughs> I, I think for obvious reasons. It's, again, <laughs> I mean, I, I come to just in ring work. Um, I say about Shawn Michaels uh, on his night. I don't think anyone could touch him, but I think for consistency, Flair tops him. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michaels may have more higher peaks, but I think Flair was far more consistent night after night, show after show. Um, and again, you mentioned yourself the the sort of politics backstage and the tantrums Sean would have. You never really heard of Flair having any of that. Um, no. You look at his work in '89 as the obvious one that stands out: the 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 the, tri- the trio of matches against Steamboat. But also that year, he had a great match with uh, Terry Funk. Um, 1990 and 1991, he had he had a, a more matches there with Isaac Luger and Sting and so on. Um, and he was obviously the common denominator for all of these that made these, these matches great. I mean, Luger against Flair looked very, very good. Uh, Luger in his career against other people maybe didn't have that same sparkle. And I, I think that, again, shows how talented 
Flair himself was. Yeah. And, and matches against Savage in '92, uh, the '92 Rumble, um, and I think he 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 had the greatest probably retirement story um, any wrestler's ever had. That whole next time you lose, you're done sort of storyline building up to the match with Michaels was incredible, and I, I think that was a great way for him to sort of go off into the sunset, so to speak. If we ignore the whole TNA, <laughs> TNA stuff, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and again. Uh, uh... I, I totally agree with you. It was on my picks. Um, and I think the thing with Flair is that in the time when it was a territory-based system, he would go from town to town and make that that company's top wrestler look absolutely amazing. And and that was kind of the the gravitas he brought to, to wrestling at that time. And then, then when he got to more of a, a TV-based kind of... Um, system he, he he excelled in that because he he was so good at making his opponent look 10 times better than what they were and the match you're on about with Shawn Michaels um for a long long time it was my favorite match ever and that that one WrestleMania moment that uh, I'm sorry I love you oh, yeah. as a as a wizened old man with who, who has very little kind of um emotion to wrestling nowadays that still sends shivers up my spine and kind of get a tear in my eye so yeah absolutely stellar pick uh who who takes that third position um the third but again very much based on in-ring ability um my third choice is kurt angle mm. um I, I think from his his debut in the wwf as it was then to when he left he He's again similar to Flair, I suppose. His level of consistency, the 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 standard of his his matches were always very very high. Um, I also think he 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 had the ability to work with anyone. I mean, you look at he could put on matches with, say, for example, Chris Benoit at WrestleMania 17, which was a fantastic wrestling match. Um, that same year, he had the King of the Ring match with. Um, Shane McMahon, sorry, name escaped me for a moment then. Um, <laughs> that was obviously not exactly a wrestling match per se, but a lot more brutal, a lot more hardcore. Um, yeah, throwing him through that that uh, oh. that plate glass when it, it was the wrong one as well, if I remember the story correctly. Yeah, there's was... a couple of occasions where he, he's, uh, poor Shane sort of hits it, doesn't quite go through, slides yeah, down. I think it's the next pane of glass that's actually sugar glass, and that was the one that he was meant to be throwing him through. But Kurt being Kurt threw him through an actual sheet of glass. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, again, he obviously was carrying was carrying injuries for a long time, mm-hmm. um, and then you had you know the, the matches with Brock, um, but you also had the other side of him as well, where you had like a, the comedy side he could do, and if you remember the the whole guitar thing with Vince McMahon and Stone Cold and the little cowboy hat and, and yeah. so on. Um, but then, to me, you know, it, we tried to ignore it with, with Flair, but to me, when Angle left and ended up in TNA, that part of his career, it, I think, should be more celebrated than, than not. I mean, I think it gets ignored quite a bit. Um, some of the matches he had with Joe, AJ Styles, um, and then a bit later on, the... That probably went a bit too long, the feud with Jeff Jarrett, but some of the matches he had with Jeff there as well, I think showed again how talented this man actually was. Um, with, with the contests he put on, I just thought that I just think the guy was fantastic. And it's a shame that he couldn't have gone on, he couldn't have started earlier or maybe gone on a bit longer, to be honest. Yeah, I, I don't think there's many people who had a, a debut year like, like Kurt Angle 
there's he just took to it like like riding a bike. He was absolutely brilliant yeah. from from day one. I mean, he he he, he almost got his start in the ECW as well. Uh, and if it wasn't for that uh, the uh, crucifixion angle, he, he would have. Oh yes. It, we might not have even got the the Kurt angle that we would have got. And then you mentioned his TNA run, and if if I remember right, he was actually in TNA for longer than his actual WWE run. Um, yeah, yeah, and and there was a point where he was every single champion. I think he had every single belt at one point. So yeah, I do think his uh, TNA run is very very underrated. Mm. I mean, it's 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 incredible watching some of the things he could do again with anybody. Uh, you look at he'd have a match against the Big Show, the Undertaker, Kane, these 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 huge monsters of men, and it, it would just be as entertaining as a match with somebody smaller like a Rey Mysterio. I think it was SummerSlam 2002 potentially when they opened the show, and it was one of the best matches on the card uh, on a very very good card. Yeah, I think for me the um, the thing that will always stick stick in my memory with Kurt Angle is it's not even the, the, the championships that he won or, the, or even any of the like the storylines he was in. It was carrying a very injured Brock Lesnar to a finish uh, at WrestleMania when uh, Brock like, muffed up that uh, shooting star press. Yeah. Uh, and I, I read a, a, an interview that, they, that someone had with Kurt and he basically said that, that Brock was like the the last run, but there was nobody home, and and he carried Brock right to the end of that match, and that kind of shows how amazing of a wrestler he was. That Brock must have been like the the heaviest like sack of spuds he could have had a match with, and and he still pulled out what was an absolutely stellar match. Yeah, it was, it was great. I mean, the, the end the ending of it after the after the actual finish itself, when Brock's kind of I think he's holding the middle rope or slumps down towards the floor potentially. And he's got the title there. Um, you actually look at his eyes at that moment. You can see that he's not there. You know, he's <laughs> he's looking around, but nothing's registering. You know, so for for Kurt to, to sort of like you say carry that to the end, I think was was incredible. Yes. So who takes up the uh, the coveted last spot on your Mount Rushmore of the greatest wrestlers of all time? Well, this was very difficult. Deciding on four was incredibly difficult. Um, the first three were fairly straightforward, but the fourth was one, was one that I struggled with, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, just because if you asked me yesterday and tomorrow, you'd get a different answer to today, yeah. I'd expect. Um, but I'm going with, um, again, literally just because of in-ring content, I suppose, for, for want of a better term, um, I'm going with Ricky Steamboat. Wow. Um, um, just, just before you go into explanation, we... Uh... Uh, it would have dropped again today. We did our year one review and we did stats. Um, and I said, uh, uh, like whilst we were discussing it, I'm surprised that nobody at all has picked Ricky Steamboat because of how good he was. And and there you go, the the very next recording I'm doing since that episode dropped. And and it's uh, you've mentioned Ricky Steamboat. It's just ah right. Well, I, was, I wasn't I wasn't aware of that. That's literally just coincidence. So. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, again, it's, it's literally in-ring, in-ring work. I mean, mm-hmm. again, the same as Flowers, so you think about the three matches those two had together in, in 89. Um, but obviously, Steamboat also had great matches with Terry Funk in 89. He was probably the other guy to put out some good matches from Luger in 89. Yeah. Um, and again, like I said, I mean, Luger had virtually everything apart from that side to his game, I suppose. Um, even going... Uh, much further back um, to his tag team days with uh, with Jay Youngblood, um, they they were a fantastic team. 
and you could see straight away Steamboat w- w- was a star then, I guess, watching these things back. Um, his early run with the WWF, obviously highlighted with the, the WrestleMania 3 match with, with Randy Savage, yeah. which to me is, is still one of my favourite matches now. I mean, I can watch it back again and again. And I, I know how it's going to end, um, but even still, some of the near fours still almost get me, which is amazing considering how long the match has been around for. You know, it's, um, uh, when he returned to WCW, um, the matches he had there with Dustin Rhodes, uh, Rick Rude, Steve Austin, Barry Windham, as part of a part of a tag team as well with Dustin Rhodes. I think they won the tag titles in '91 when he returned as a mystery partner. I think against Arn Anderson, and I think then that would have been Larry Zbyszko would have been Anderson's partner. Um, and then a bit later on, not not long before he retired, he had, he had a, an, another match with Flair at Spring Stampede over the world title. Not quite as good as the three from 89, but you could still see that that's all sort of, uh, apologies sounding a bit cheesy, but that sort of old magic was still there. I suppose they were a bit slower, you know, five, five years older and so on. But, um, again, I just think the content and, and, and the quality of the guys work on such a regular, regular pattern over and over and over again throughout the years, tag matches, singles matches, mid card, the main events he had with flair and so on. I, I just think in the ring, he was he was just so so good, and that's that's why he makes up my uh, my four. Yeah, I've I've always kind of uh, thought of Ricky Steamboat as like almost a wrestling chameleon. Um, he he could have a good match with any kind of style of wrestling. There wasn't like one style that he he you would say that that he favoured. He was just he was good against big men. He was good against half flyers. He was good against technical wrestlers. He was just. Especially uh, around like, the stage, like I said at WrestleMania uh, three, he was the he was just the most technical wrestler that you could get. He was so adaptable, um, and it's a shame he didn't kind of get the 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 kind of accolades and plaudits that he, he, he probably should have got. I think he should have been more recognised in in terms of like world titles and and uh, lengthy reigns. Um, but yeah, absolutely great, great Mount Rushmore there. There's that, there's no dispute in that whatsoever. I mean, with, with Steamboat there, you send about more recognition and more title runs and so on. Uh, I think he chopped and changed around a bit too much to maybe get that, which is a shame. Yeah. He, he spent a little bit of time in WWF, a little bit of time in WCW, then he'd go back and then he'd go back again. And I wonder if now, looking back in hindsight to that time, if, if that maybe hurt potential title runs maybe not even world title but title runs in general maybe yeah yeah you could possibly be right uh, I, I vaguely remember um a, a piece wrote about him uh, regarding the the the, the intercontinental title he, apparently he was meant he was due to have a long run with it and then vince changed his mind and then he was almost promised to go on to bigger and better things and that kind of didn't materialize so maybe it's, it's it's other factors that kind of held him down mm. uh, in terms of uh, of reaching that kind of pinnacle. Uh, but if you're looking at in ring work, there's there's very few that could could top Rick, Ricky Steamboat. Yeah, I mean, even even some as as simple as like a, an arm drag, um, hip toss, or that's still referred to as nearly as good as Steamboat on commentary in certain <laughs> certain companies now, isn't it? So I think that's quite a testament there to the guy if it's so it's still being spoken about all these years after he's retired. So Yep, absolutely. Are you looking for the newest and hottest in the world of pro wrestling? 
Then check out the amazing action on powerslam.tv, the biggest indie pro wrestling channel in the world. Get over 6,000 hours of the best events from over 150 of your favorite promotions from 20 different countries around the globe. Brands like Progress Wrestling, Evolve Wrestling, Combat Zone, Defy, PCW Ultra, PWX, Over the Top, Shine, and hundreds of others with fresh content added every day for only $5.99 per month. Get your free trial today at powerslam.tv. So let's get into uh, let's get into the main topic. Um, we uh, we decided on the uh, the Mount Rushmore of authority figures. So who do you have first on your Mount Rushmore of uh, of authority figures? I think this is going to be the most obvious pick of all. Uh, I don't think <laughs> you can look any any further than Mr. Vince McMahon himself. He's um, what a man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think if if you were picking a any top list of authority figures or bosses or anything like that in the in the wrestling world and you didn't include him then there's there's something wrong really um he, he, to me he effectively defines that role um i believe him in that role changed the business a, a huge a huge amount um you i think you've always kind of had some figurehead on television or in the arena to some degree going back as far as as far as I, I can think of but that heel nasty evil boss kind of figure um i think he defined that maybe there were there were people doing it before him but nobody's done it as well since um the whole feud with steve austin is obviously one of the biggest money makers the company had um and the fact that even even going back those years, he was still not a particularly young man, um, stepping in the ring, getting thrown off the top of a cage, and so on for the sake of his business. I think to, I think it deserves some level of respect. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Absolutely, brilliant of a microphone. I just I just think this guy is the the epitome of the authority figure, especially the evil, nasty heel authority figure. Yeah, I agree. And like I said, it, it was it was the first one that that I came up up with. Um, it's interesting though, uh, uh, like like you mentioned that there was there was always kind of some sort of authority figure. But uh, in early WWE or WWF, should I say, it was it, they were almost kind of like figureheads. You had Gorilla Monsoon who was a, mm-hmm. had a runner's president, and before that, it was a uh, Jack Tunney, if I remember right. I remember mm-hmm. good old Jack Tunney. Uh, but yeah, I, I think it was around um, around 1996, uh, middle of 1996, where they started like alluding to Vince as being like the chairman uh, and not just like a commentator. Um, I remember a Jim Ross interview where he he, he alluded to that, and then there was a, a follow up with Stone Cold Steve Austin who uh, called Monsoon a puppet, and uh, he knew that McMahon was pulling the string. So they were kind oh, of yeah, like testing the. They were like kind of testing the waters of uh, of maybe um, McMahon being a character, and then obviously we got the the Montreal Screwjob where the cat was let out of the bag, um, and then it it, it kind of just snowballed from there. Uh, and what I've done is I could easily just go through a massive diatribe and just like spend an hour saying all the things that Vince did. But what I ended up doing, I kind of like put it down to footnotes. So we had the Montreal Screwjob, obviously. Um, then we had the Brett Screw Brett promo, which is massively infamous. Uh, 
McMahon versus versus Austin, um, where he he, he he was the higher power when he uh, used his own daughter as a pawn um, to to basically get uh, back at Stone Cold with uh, with the Ministry of Darkness and then the corporate minister, yeah, former WWE uh, champion when he um, he beat Triple H with uh, a little bit of help from his old nemesis Austin and. It's it's fun how they kept revisiting like McMahon and Austin, Austin and McMahon because that was that was the moneymaker and there was the there was the turns and then the double turns. Yeah, it was just is is the epitome of uh, an evil heel authority figure. And even when he's playing a face authority figure, you kind of always waiting for that time when he becomes a dick again. Yeah, very much so. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, uh, I'll I'll put him down as my first pick as well. Okay. So let's go back to you for for your ah, second. Ah yeah, of course. Pick. Sorry. <laughs> um, no, well, okay. it's funny you, you you literally just mentioned him in in your little uh, discussion on Vince there. Um, my second choice is actually Jack Tunney. Oh, President Jack. <laughs> yeah. Um. To me, that era. I mean, he. he he was on screen, literally, just as I suppose to, to coin the phrase, you just use a, a puppet, a figurehead, so to speak. Um, he ran literally straight through the whole of the the prime Hulkamania era, throughout the, the sort of mid to late eighties. Um, yes, okay, he he was very much, I suppose, bland might be a, a word you could describe him as. I mean, there are occasions where I think they could have had a cardboard cutout of him and just played a cassette recording of his voice. <laughs> You might not have lost much in the performance, so to speak. Um, but you, you look at when he was involved, which, granted, again, wasn't every week. We've seen the authority figures now um, and in recent years tend to be dominating the television. Um, they tend to be on, on Raw, SmackDown or wherever on a very regular basis, especially when the likes of Stephanie and so on are involved. Whereas with Jack Tunney, if he was on screen whether he was there in the arena or he was having like a um, a talking head role in an office somewhere, you knew something big was happening. Um, he was involved very much in setting up the whole Hogan-Andre on the Piper's Pit, um, the start of that with Heenan demanding that the belt be made big enough, the new title belt sorry, be made big enough to fit Andre and so on. Just little seeds being sown for that turn and that. Um taking the title from Ted DiBiase after he bought it from Andre, um, announcing Hogan Warrior at WrestleMania 6, and then no rematch to Hogan, um, and then the vacating of the Intercontinental title and the tournament to decide the new one. Um, a bit later on, the whole Jake the Snake macho man situation where Savage was, he, he'd lost to the Warrior, um, and Tunney reinstated him so he could get his revenge on Jake Roberts. Um, whenever Tony was on screen, something big was going to be said, or something big was going to happen. As, as far as as far as I remember it, um, uh, of course, the, the biggest one for me personally in my lifetime I can remember firsthand, rather than rewatching, um, would be surrounding the '92 Royal Rumble and all the silliness of Hogan, Flair, The Undertaker. Um, the title being held up, and he declaring sorry, he Tony declaring the winner of the 92 Rumble will be the new champion. Um, and then a couple of years later, um, declaring Luger and Hart the co-winners in 94 of the Rumble, setting up the, the unique situation at WrestleMania 10. Um, obviously, all these 
uh, all these storyline progressions, all these steps through through the history there are decided elsewhere without him really involved. However, he was effectively the figurehead. He was the voice. So especially especially when I was much younger, again going back to ninety two, if Tunney was on screen, you knew something big was going was going to happen. So that's kind of why he stands out for me in that authority figure sort of position. Yeah, uh, quality pick. And whilst he didn't make make my picks, um, he he was kind of like the face of the WF for my for a lot of my childhood. And it, like I said, when he was on the screen, you knew that something big was going to happen. And it's interesting, like looking they, uh, looking like to him before he actually uh, started with the WF, he was actually a competitor. Uh, with a com- with a wrestling company called Maple Leaf Wrestling, uh, they were kind of aligned with the NWA, and through kind of politics and family, he ended up like kind of co-promoting with uh, the old WWWF, and and then left the NWA uh, entirely to go and work for Vince McMahon Senior's son, uh, Vince Junior, and yeah, and he, he ended up being like this this figurehead as, as well as kind of like a backstage uh, kind of producer as well. So yeah, uh, great pick. Yeah, I mean, with regards to, to, to Tony there as well, obviously it, he was, as far as I understand it, he he was helping promote. He was Canadian, wasn't he? So he he was helping promote the Canadian tours mm-hmm. for quite a while. Um, and when McMahon sort of took that over himself in in the mid nineties, for, for, for financial reasons, is what I've read. Tony was kind of forced into retirement. Um, but there's also various stories that pop up online when you look into these people and, and a lot of it's just sort of controversy and, and unproven and so on. Um, but stories about him being sort of pushed towards the door for money being used to pay gambling debts that, you know, was from the company and, and so on. Obviously none of this was proven, it's all hearsay and so on. Um, but then there's there's sort of other little oddities to that as well. I mean, he was associated with the the company and the McMahons for for, for decades, um, and when he when he passed away, um, early early two thousands, nobody from the company attended his funeral. It wasn't acknowledged. Um, it was cut off. Yeah, yeah. Which I, which I I I I've got no answers to that. I just find that very odd. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so let's go into my second pick, uh, and I'm actually going to go with uh, someone who's who's not. Uh, another kind of figurehead um, of a, um, an authority figure. I'm going to go with uh, John Laurinaitis. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, so John Laurinaitis, also known as Johnny Ace to uh, a lot of people, uh, as a wrestler, he worked pretty much all over the world. He wrestled for New Japan, uh, All Japan, uh, NWA and WCW. Uh, he ended up becoming a, a, a booker and a producer for, for WCW. And I don't know if you'll remember, but they, were, they did a US heavyweight uh, championship tournament, which was uh, like done in one night. And he was he was the booker for that. And that was like his first attempt at, uh, at booking a part of a show, which uh, got him many, many plaudits. Uh, but when uh, WWE bought up the, the assets of WCW, uh, he was brought in as a road agent. Uh, but he quickly kind of um, transitioned into almost higher uh, positions. He um, was uh, within a couple of months. He was uh, the director of talent relations, and then over like the next uh, four or five years, he was promoted all the way up to executive vice president. Uh, but 
Uh, once he kind of reached the senior vice president position, he was quickly like knocked down a peg when uh, Stephanie Mann kind of took over talent relations. And then we got Triple H uh, put in that uh, executive position. And obviously WWE haven't kind of looked back since. Um, but in terms of being an authority figure, it was literally a storyline authority figure. It didn't really have a lot of, uh, of backstage power. Uh, and he first actually started his debut being a stooge for, for Vince McMahon. Uh, I think it was at Money uh, in the Bank 2011 uh, when he was described by Punk as a glad-handed, nonsensical douchebag yes-man uh, in that famous uh, <laughs> part bomb. Uh, yeah, brilliant. Um, so at the end of that, that WWE title match at, at the Money in the Bank, uh, McMahon ordered... Uh, Johnny Ace to kind of get interfere. Uh, and I think they were trying to do a kind of throwback to the Montreal screw job. But um, Cena knocked him out uh, because he didn't want to win in in such a way. Uh, but that actually led to him losing. And it meant that Punk would win the match and obviously win the title. So then after that, um, he was was uh, a big build-up to... Uh, the, the rematch that was coming up at SummerSlam uh, and he booked a, a tournament for, for the WWE title um, when he when he helped Triple H kind of officiate the contract signing. Uh, and then we got like, the power struggle storyline that he had with Triple H where he was uh, he was allegedly texting Kevin Nash to come and get involved in matches. That whole kind of flop of a storyline where it turns oh, yeah. out Kevin was Kevin texting himself, was Triple H texting him, and it was just it was uh, basically a power play to try and get um, Hunter's uh, chief operating officer position on the line, and and Laurinaitis were kind of like looking to to take over that role. Um, and then he uh, he did the instigation of the the, the strike of uh, the talent against Triple H, which ended up getting Triple H removed from power. And then John got his wish, and he was the interim general manager of Raw. Um, and on the first show that he was in charge, he fired Jim Ross, uh, <laughs> which was brilliant. Uh, and then I think he reinstated Miz and R-Truth, who had been suspended because they were attacking people. Uh, and at first, he 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 promised like impartiality. Said he was gonna um, he was gonna call it down the line with a he had a, a slogan people power, but yeah, it, it, that don't really last long in in terms of WWE. There's never really people who are impartial all the time, and he soon started showing his bias. And again, went against Punk, uh, siding with with Ziggler up up to their run up for the the Royal Rumble title match. Um, but this this got him um, into a bit of bother with the board of WWE, and he ended up having to have a a, a review because he'd started calling himself the permanent GM or the soon to be permanent GM. Um, but Triple H was uh, put in charge of reviewing his position, and he was just set to uh, to fire uh, John Laurinaitis uh, only for the Undertaker to to interfere and Laurinaitis kept his position uh then after that that storyline kind of fizzled out he uh he had a, a a brand on brand battle with uh with teddy long uh where it led up to wrestlemania and each brand would have a, a six-man team uh, and the winning gm would assume control of both brands and uh johnny ace johnny ace's team won which meant he was uh in control of both raw and smackdown 
And then after this, he uh, took on the big dog, John Cena himself. Uh, he attacked Cena and then declared himself as uh, the number one contender for the match at Over the Limit. I don't know if you remember that match, but it, it, it was a stinker. After this, he, uh, he was given a performance review by Vince McMahon. Uh, and uh, again, just as Vince was... Uh, was going to fire him, someone came and interfered. And this time it was the Big Show who uh, who knocked out Vince McMahon with a, a... Back then, I think he was calling the, the punch uh, the, the weapons of mass destruction. Um, so we ended up then with a Cena facing the Big Show with uh, either Cena's job on the line if he lost or Johnny Ace's job on the line if he lost. And Cena being Big Mac Cena won the match, and John Laurinaitis got relieved of his position. Uh, so the next Raw, which was his, the last Raw of his uh, GM career, he actually booked himself in a three-on-one match uh, against Cena and sided with Big Show, and I think it was David Atunga. And they just walked out and left him, and it meant that Cena could beat the absolute living piss out of, uh, of, of John Laurinaitis, and that was the end of his run of a, as an authority figure. But, yeah, I've just... Felt that he was a, an interesting pick. Uh, he had a quite a, a storied career as a as a as an authority figure. So yeah, I'm going to go with John Laurinaitis. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest. There's so much there I had forgotten about until you you ran through it. it it's quite an extensive uh, amount of storylines and talent he actually worked with, isn't it? Especially considering it was it was literally less than a year or just less mm. than a year's run. Uh, and yeah, he went through so so much uh, storylines and and kind of being this like jackass of a of a heel authority figure. Yeah, just felt he he deserved a little bit of a mention. Yeah, I mean, with regards to him in ring, there's there's not masses I I've seen. I remember him, um, Shane Douglas, I believe he he was a tag team at one stage with. Was it the Dynamic Dudes or something like that? He used to ride I think it was something like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think I've re-seen, rewatched some of that not too long ago, um, and it was one of those moments where I'm sat watching watching it downstairs, um, and one of my daughters walked in the ring, looked at the telly, and just rolled their eyes at me. So yeah. it's like, uh, <laughs> I think that gives you an idea of of the dynamic dudes, doesn't it? Really, but but he did invent the stunner. Uh, yeah, which, yeah, that's, which yeah. So many people use nowadays. So yeah, I mean, he had he did a lot of work in Japan, from what from what I can understand, but I've not mm-hmm. seen any of it. Um, which has surprised me because I'm a, I'm a big fan of New Japan, but all Japan I've barely seen anything of, which I suppose is an odd divide for someone who, who enjoys wrestling as much as me, maybe. But as the authority figure, um, yeah, a great deal of what you you've recounted there, I I remember firsthand. Um, yeah, it was it was it was like I said, a short run, but you know, it was involved with Cena a lot and so on. There's a lot of big storylines in that small period of time. Yeah, absolutely. So let's go to you, uh, Simon, for your for your third pick. Okay, um, this third pick is, uh, I'm going to go with Eric Bischoff. <laughs> Again, another one that I've got. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 you know, I'm very, I'd be very surprised if we didn't match on a couple of these, yeah. <laughs> um, for me, the NWO is one of the biggest storylines of all time. I think it changed so much. Um, and the fact that Bischoff was the figurehead in WCW before this and then there was the reveal of him being part of the nwo all along i thought was, was done fantastic um i think i think the guy is, is fantastic as a character on screen he, he's got such a level of arrogance and confidence to himself um and when he was 
part of the NWO and then eventually when he came into WWE uh, years later, that that arrogance, the, the way he carries himself, um, that, I suppose, cheesy grin, for want of a better term, that he, he, he displays when he's walking around and so on. Um, there's just something incredibly unlikable about the guy at times. And I think as as the heel authority figure, that's that's a good a good thing to be able to pull off. Um, when he was revealed as the new general manager of Raw, and then after obviously the, the obvious history throughout the 90s, you see him there with Vince McMahon shaking hands, hugging and so on on the stage. Um, that was just an incredibly surreal moment, but it, it led to some some great television, I believe. Um, right, right from his his entrance themes, you know, singing I'm back and better than ever. I think that's kind of summed up the arrogance of the guy sort of portrays on television. Um, the, the sucking up to Triple H, the handing him the world title when Lesnar was uh, persuaded to leave and go to solely to SmackDown. Um, the sort of co-GM, I guess, uh, feud he had with Steve Austin, um, including the uh, the beer drinking contests, a redneck triathlon with like pie eating and burping <laughs> and so on. I, I think that that resulted that was on a pay per view, wasn't it? Because I believe the following the following Raw Bischoff was hung over all episode. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and again, I just think that I just think it made some fantastic television. Um, it's a real shame for me that he he went back to WWE for a very short period and then left again. Obviously, there's stuff going on there that you know behind the scenes that I, I, I don't understand. Um, but I think there's still potential could have been for him to be an on-screen character because I think even though you've got the obvious creative side that he displayed in WCW, um, I think as an on-screen character, he's got so much to offer. Um, but yeah, that, that's my third pick there. That's uh, Eric Bischoff. Yep, same with me. It was, it was my third pick. And uh, what the, the, the reason that I went for... Bischoff mainly was because he turned uh, WCW, which was it was floundering way before he he, yeah. he was uh, involved, um, and he he was a a bit part uh, announcer for them and a, a bit part commentator, and before that he, he didn't really work in in the front end of wrestling. He was kind of like a salesperson, and. When he went for the job of executive producer, he actually beat people like I think Tony Schiavone went for the job, and I think Jim Ross went for the job, and he beat beat them to it. So he must have had that kind of um, belief in himself and charisma to to like convince the the guys over at Turner to to give him the opportunity, and he made them a profit as 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 much as in the the dying days of of WCW they they're known as like basically throwing away money and and having an open checkbook for for a lot of the time he actually started uh, making them a profit and then, and he he was a big influence in stuff like um d- dealing with mainstream media and getting uh, big name celebrities to to be involved and then also the the push whether whether it's a good thing or bad thing it, it's something that we've got uh got now permanently the monthly pay-per-view scene um so he's been very very innovative in terms of uh the wrestling business and then when you get to uh what what happened with him whilst he was part of uh the wwe we've got stuff like the elimination chamber which uh was was under his kind of rule i mean i'm not saying that he was the the person who who, who invented it but it was brought in under his kind of like uh stewardship 
Yeah, I remember him uh, hitting the hitting the chains of a pipe at, to display how tough they are at one stage to show it show it off, or didn't he? Yeah, um, and th- he was also involved in some really really funny uh, storylines, especially the the last one um, when he was uh, put up for trial uh, in his position and. After he, he was found guilty and, and relieved of his job, uh, he was uh, body slammed by John Cena and then thrown into a, a garbage truck by Vince McMahon. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, I remember not. Though. <laughs> and then after that, he, uh, obviously he had a, a quite a fleeting uh, and ultimately unsuccessful run in TNA, but even then he, uh, he was still like, quite influential. Um, he brought in Hogan and, and he got a lot of eyes on the product. Uh, whether uh, whether it was kind of like clinging to past glories or not, uh, who can say? But he's, he does have that knack of of kind of staying relevant, and then obviously now he's he's got one of the most successful podcasts in the world with eighty three weeks, and and uh, the 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 podfather himself, Conrad Thompson. Uh, so yeah, it's a a great pick, and it's where we've literally both got him as as third. Yeah. <laughs> So let's go back to you for your for your last pick. Okay. Um the last pick is well it's actually two people. Um it would be the authority themselves as they were known for a while or the McMahon Helmsley era. Um it, again it's been around for so long. Um the whole fake wedding of Stephanie um drugged up and so on um involving tests was as far back as 1999. Um, it wasn't that long after that that they were effectively in charge on television, doing anything they can to make sure Triple H keeps hold of the title, um, involving DX and all, all sorts of others um, and so on. Uh, but then it never really, never really went away fully. I mean, there were occasions where Triple H and Stephanie would be feuding against each other, like around WrestleMania 18 with the whole Jericho involvement and the match that should not have gone on last and so on, um, after Hogan Rock. Um, you know, feuding sometimes, back together over occasions, and then eventually the actual authority itself coming together and giving itself that name. Um, you, you're having various, <laughs> various top flight, top main event involvement with them as as those authority figures, with those in, them in that position. Um, I mean, just running through a couple, Sting's debut in uh, the Survivor Series in 2014, um, brought in very much to be an adversary to try and defeat the authority. Um, Roman Reigns winning and losing titles all involved the authority. Sheamus cashing in money in the bank on one occasion uh, against Reigns. Um, again, with Triple H's involvement, involving the authority. Um, Triple H obviously winning the belt himself at the Royal Rumble in 2016. Um, the whole Ronda Rousey thing, the, the slap and the rock being in the ring and she's, she's slapping Stephanie. And then a few years later, working with Angle against Triple H and Stephanie. Um, just a huge part of TV for years. And they involved so many main event storylines and, and big, big names. Um, I mean, from from '99 when the wedding was to Ronda Rousey, um, Angle, Triple H, and Stephanie match um, at WrestleMania 34. I, I believe that's about 18 years, 19, 18 and a half years. Um, 
it's 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 an insanely it's an insane amount of time. Yes, okay, like I said, sometimes not together, not on screen together, sometimes feuding against each other, but primarily, at least one of them was in a power uh, a power position as an authority figure. Um, so for that length of time and the amount of storylines they're in, that that's why the the authority, as they were later known, is my uh, is my fourth choice. Yep, uh, great choice, and um, I think in Stephanie you've got literally a female Vince McMahon. Uh, she kind of fitted into that role perfectly. She was that kind of bitch heel who everybody wanted to hear. And I don't think she could ever not be that kind of person. She's always, she's always uh, like I mentioned with uh, with Vince McMahon earlier, even when she's a face, you st- you, you're still just waiting for that time when she's going to turn and be a heel again. And I think her and Triple H have, have almost been like a matchman in heaven in terms of uh, being the, a heel authority. Uh, and one that you, uh, you you didn't mention was uh, the Seth Rollins turn uh, when he was handpicked oh, yeah. by Triple H uh, to, to basically split up the shield and, and be the, the, the face of the company. Yeah, and, and it's, it's interesting how Triple H has kind of transitioned into being like the saviour almost of, uh, of WWE wrestling, but yet... For a long, long time, he he was one of the most despised heel authority figures that, that they've ever had. Yeah, and, and I suppose as well something else that I, I failed to list there, um, the, the whole Daniel Bryan at WrestleMania 30 story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that, to me, Daniel Bryan had this huge following. He, he was the fan support for him was in, was incredible, but if he had nothing to overcome, no evil empire to try and defeat, would it have been? As clamoured for, I mean, I think you've got to look at Triple H and Stephanie's roles there, whether it was the intent or not. Um, they contributed hugely to that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'll go to my fourth one. I think my fourth one, I'm going to go... Uh, I mean, these have all been great picks, but they've all had like a, an air of seriousness about them. There's not really much comedy. And, and for me, I think you always need to cut the seriousness with a, with a little bit of something fun. So I'm actually going to go with... Um, Stone Cold Steve Austin as an authority <laughs> figure. <laughs> yes. Now, obviously, it's it's dawned on you straight away which one I'm on about. Uh, but he's actually had a, a a couple of stints as a as an authority figure in in the WWE. He once was part owner of the company with uh, Vince McMahon, where uh, he went and wreaked havoc at Titan Towers. Uh, he trashed Vince's office, was drinking beer on the job. He <laughs> he took Shane McMahon's. Uh, Salary and uh, he used that as to institute a beer fund. Um, he uh, there was a, a, a vignette where he was providing on on the job training to uh, the receptionist on how to answer a phone. Uh, just, just stone cold being stone cold, but the actual um, the actual iteration that I'm going for uh, it came not long after he'd retired from uh, wrestling uh, following uh, WrestleMania 19. He was a uh, he was appointed the core GM of uh, of Ron. You alluded to it earlier with uh, with Eric Bischoff, and with this uh, with this role, he, uh, he he took to wearing a little badge, a little uh, sheriff's badge, <laughs> and he'd ride down to to the ring on his uh, ATV. He'd uh, stun everyone like he would. Um, yeah, it's just. It was just a bit of fun and kind of a, a nice cap off to what has been an amazing career uh, for a wrestler and kind of keep him 
keep that um, popularity going because when he retired as a wrestler, he was he was literally the heart of his fame, and and WWE were wanting to keep him involved without him like basically killing himself in the ring, and I think that was a mm. a perfect way to do it. Um, and he he was actually eventually fired <laughs> as core general manager in, in I think it was like November of, of two thousand three. Uh, but he ended up just keep showing up all the time, uh, and finally got finally had his last run as a sheriff Austin in at WrestleMania twenty. Uh, but is is the kind of guy that's going to be inextricably linked with the company, and we we get stuff like the the broken school sessions and and his podcast, and and every time he makes an appearance back on Raw, it gets a spark in viewership. Is is so still so popular and still so relevant. So yeah, I'm gonna go for for pick number four, Sheriff Steve Austin. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I remember there was also a time when he still wearing his denim shorts, knee braces, t-shirt, but would have a tie loosely around his neck as well for a couple <laughs> of shows. Just yeah. little things like that are, are absolute gold. Yeah, Steve Austin. Steve Austin's fantastic in the ring, out of the ring. I'm I'm a huge fan. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. It's your boy Rens, aka Ray Cash of the Outsiders Edge. I'm here with my boy Kyle. And I got a question for you, man. All right, shoot. What would you say are your four worst, your Mount Rushmore of worst edge guests? Ooh, that's a tough one. The Mount Rushmore of worst edge guests. It's pretty easy. It should just be two people. I mean, nah, 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 nah. The the three worst guests in the history of the Outsiders Edge are obviously Caleb. Carl. <laughs> Caleb, Carl, and Mags, right? Well, I mean, Darren's trash. You know, Darren, and we can't even shout out Paul Talley because he's never been on the damn show. I mean, but that's good for us. Speaking of Mount Rushmore, I guess we can shout out the fact that Badlands Podcast, part of the Cherishot Radio Network, check it out. We love the show. Uh, always listen, man. Cherish that family. We're here for you. 100%. If y'all haven't checked it out, you got to do it. And I mean, if Darren were here, we know one thing he would say to my Mount Rushmore, and that is he has a He big, would veto that shit. veto for that shit. But he's not here, so I said what I said. You want to come on the show and defend yourself, you know where to find your boys. If you don't like that, we don't give up. Fuck. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to check out the chair shot. Yep. So two two really good Mount Rushmore's there. Uh, very similar in, in in a couple of them, but um so you had Vince McMahon, you had Jack Tunney, Eric Bischoff, and the authority or the McMahon Elms era. Um and I had Vince McMahon, John Laurinaitis, Eric Bischoff, and uh Sheriff Stone Cold Steve Austin. Uh, yeah, um what I need from you now, Sam, is uh, I need you to to Come up with a topic for a future guest. Normally, if we, if Paul was here, we'd give you an option each, and you'd pick which one you thought would the the most interesting. But seeing as our Paul's uh, laid low because of the coronavirus, uh, it's it's all on you. What would you like oh, to hear? No, uh, no pressure, then, mate. <laughs> yeah, absolutely no pressure. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I mean, stop me if it's too specific or or not what you're looking for. But I'm kind of thinking with um, recently having what numerous people online have described as the best tag team match they've ever seen on an AEW show recently. 
um, and it obviously being WrestleMania weekend, um, I'm leaning towards something along the lines of maybe a Mount Rushmore of WrestleMania tag matches. Interesting. Uh, a very, very, yeah, I, I really like that. Um, it's going to be fun to, to research that. So, wrestling, WrestleMania tag matches, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah great, great pick. Um, thanks for doing the show, Simon. I really do appreciate it. Uh, oh, thanks for having me on. It's been great. Let all the Badlands listeners know where they can uh, they can find you on social media, where they can find uh, your writings. Yeah, um, uh, I, I mainly write for the ProWrestlingStories.com site. Um, it, it's, it's a great website, and we've got so many fantastic authors over there. Um, my social media is, at the moment, quite limited. I've, I've literally just got a Twitter, um, and you can find me at SJPWords. Um, and every article I write, I... Uh, I send date on there several times to the point where I'm probably going to annoy people, so they're easy to find. <laughs> yeah, and, and you've you've recently started like um, really getting involved in in wrestling Twitter with like the the kind of open ended questions that you've been putting on, which uh, I I love doing stuff like that. I love like that kind of debate and and chat on on wrestling Twitter. Yeah, it's great. I mean, that's only that's something I've only started doing very recently, um, and it was literally sat in the house on my own something popped in my head put it on there got a bit of a response and it's kind of snowballed from there so yes it's, it's great I, I appreciate everyone who who responds or if, well, anyone who reads anything i write as well so yeah i mean i didn't think for when i started out at any point that i'd have that many people interested in my thoughts so no i appreciate it it's great Absolutely not a problem. So yeah, uh, listeners, go and uh, go and give Simon a follow. Go and uh, check out his uh, his 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 writings. He's honestly is is so so good with words. It's it, it's. I mean, I'm I'm struggling to find the words to to explain how good with words he is. It's, it's that good. Um, and if, <laughs> well, thank you very much. Not a problem. Not a problem. So you can follow me on on Twitter at DAJ Kirby. Follow Paul if he ever decides to to come back to the show at Reencounter. Follow this uh, this show at Badlands Pod. Um, who had the best Mount Rushmore of uh, authority figures? Was it was it Simon or was it was it Man? And whilst you're there, uh, give us your Mount Rushmore of the greatest wrestlers of all time. But just remember that uh, when you're coming up with these Mount Rushmores. We only have one rule, and that's you must always use your head. TheChairShot.com. Always use your head.